Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's the former queen of me and Lisa Lampanelli. I am on Hollywood Raw. And guess what? We're talking about roasts, cancel culture, who had rules, what we couldn't say during a roast, who didn't, and how great I still am. Because I'm fantastic. Hey, everybody. It's Tony Robbins. Hey, guys. I'm Audrina Patrick. Hey, this is Adam Carolla. You're on the Hollywood Raw podcast. You're watching Hollywood Raw. You're listening to and watching Hollywood Raw. This is the Hollywood Raw podcast, hosted by entertainment veteran Dax Holt and street journalist Adam Glynn. The podcast humanizing Hollywood. From celebrities to media moguls, even paparazzi and bodyguards have come to break news, break their silence, or just have a great conversation on Hollywood Raw. If they're on Hollywood Raw, there's a reason. From page six to TMZ, Daily Mail, and People Magazine, everyone is talking about the Hollywood Raw podcast with Dax Holt and Adam Glynn. Dax, tell us about our guest. Lisa Lampanelli, former queen of mean, who is now starring in her own podcast with two comedian friends and just killing the game. She, uh, We are friends on Twitter and Instagram. Look at you. I know. Look pretty, at you. I'm pretty much really cool. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> Lisa, welcome. So Lisa, you're right now. Thank you for coming on the Hollywood World Podcast. Where are you right now in the world? You are. Um, I don't like to brag, but I'm in my childhood home in Connecticut that I bought for my parents oh. because I've always been a child at heart. So I'm here with my two rescue dogs, Parker and Peggy, and a whole bunch of shit on the floor. So did you buy the house and you're just going to remodel the whole thing? Just be you, like- know what, you know what's weird? I'm so sentimental that I'm actually not. Um, and it's really cool to be here. I, I always knew I'd end up back here cause I never changed the name in the phone from anything but home. It always said home on it. I said, I bet I'll end up there. So, you know, after retiring from stand up three years ago, I kind of was like, wow, you know, this is the place to be. So we're having fun. We're not fancy, but we having fun. Yeah, is it, is it nice sleeping in a twin size bed still? <laughs> Dude, you want to laugh? I actually do. And I'll tell you why. There's like four bedrooms. Each one has double beds. But my childhood bedroom has a sing- two singles. And I'm like, I'm going to try this. It is the coziest thing. I feel like uh, getting back to my roots as a sort of lower middle class Italian girl who didn't fit in. I love it. So you are still retired from stand up. Are you going to maintain are you still going to be retired? Are you, is there any chance oh, of you yeah. coming back? No, I don't think so. I mean, I've never said never, and I definitely don't have any intention at all of doing it. But I got to tell you, I really enjoy all this free time. I enjoy, I do one podcast a week. I do writing meetings with a few comics who I'm helping. And other than that, I just kind of do everything Kind of that's a hobby. I have I do everything badly, by the way. I was telling you before we came on, I do ballroom dancing badly. Cause I'm like, if I get obsessed with getting ahead at anything or good at anything, I'm just gonna be as miserable as as I was in stand-up. Cause all that was like achievement-based. Hey, you know what? 
Uh, maybe if I fill my internal hole, not the external hole, but the internal, <laughs> maybe if I fill the internal hole with some kind of achievement or accomplishment, I'll like myself better. Well, that freaking didn't work. So luckily I can now explore just having fun and having hobbies and helping people if I can, if I can't let, let them help themselves. How many times a day does someone hit you up on Twitter or IG and like, please come do a show, like come back on stage. We want to hear you. Well, that's what's so funny is I did get a lot recently. And I think what happened is shameless plug. I launched this podcast called Losers with a Dream with two other comics, very unknown guys who were up and coming. Well, I think now that I'm like kind of out there a little bit, like being funny or helping people or kind of roasting those guys, I think people are like, oh, she's going to do a comeback. But I get the worst offers ever, dude. Like, hi, do you want to do a fundraiser at my kid's theater school? Are you kidding? I not only do not approve of your child, because I'm sure it's ugly. I don't approve of your child doing theater, because guess what? He's going to end up a self-centered douchebag like I was. So... No, the answer is no, no, no. But if Radio City came calling again, who knows? I might dab, I might get my tap shoes and be a rocket. I did I ever tell you that Lisa she would come into TMZ? And oh, it's fun. Lisa roasted the shit out of me on my own like web chat. Yes, you remember this, Lisa? So I had this thing called Dax Chat uh, back at TMZ, and she came in. She came and she just roasted the shit out of me for literally like 30 minutes. And it was the best thing in my life. <laughs> well, you were you were such a good sport about it because Dax, I mean, back then you could say anything you wanted. You know, nowadays I'm very woke, as you probably know. I consider myself the world's oldest millennial. I really do not uh, make fun of these stereotypes anymore. But back then... I just looked at you and assumed you were a gay man. I mean, you were very quaffed, very good looking. I said, wife, are you kidding me? So I love the fact that we could do that. And now I kind of don't look at you. I think I would never roast you again, but, but you do look. I mean, I'm not saying I'm against it though. I, I, <laughs> I appreciated it. I, 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 lo I love the sense of humor. I, you know, that's, I think that's one thing that I'm going to be honest with is I feel that, in comedy, people are so censored now. And it's very yeah. hard that like people can't be funny. They can't be themselves. They can't say the jokes because everyone is so sensitive right? Um, that everyone's like worried that they're going to get canceled the next day. Yeah, I, I this is what I tell comics. I had a discussion with someone yesterday who wanted to do a comeback into comedy. And I said, assume you're already canceled. Every comic is canceled. Everyone, if you type in their name, it says racist after their name, if it's Googled or misogynist or whatever it happens to be. And you just have to assume that not everyone's going to like you, but if you're funny, you'll find an audience. So people who are truly funny, who come to me for advice, like, I mean, I'm telling you, people like Nikki Glaser, she found a great, huge audience and she's not politically correct. But she has a conscience. And I think the thing is, what I love is I heard her on Bill Maher talking about how if she hurts somebody's feelings, she apologizes, which I totally do that. Like even now, uh, if someone would come up to me or send me an email saying, you know, that hurt my feelings, I'd absolutely say I'm sorry. I'm not apologizing to a group, but I would apologize to someone who legitimately was hurt if I can relieve any pain. But so I think the comic, if they're funny, is going to find that audience no matter who they are. And yes, will the audience be laughing for the right reasons? We can only hope so. 
So why did you initially retire? What made oh. you say, oh, I need to stop? Oh, yeah. Well, when I went on Stern, I, I see this was great because when I decided the joy kind of was ending in comedy for me that I didn't love doing it anymore. I hated the travel. I hated being away from home. I was like, okay, I have to go on someplace to retire that'll be taken seriously. So I thank God Howard Stern said yes. So I went on there and I really told the truth. I said, I didn't find it joyful. I found that I wanted to quit before people started to notice I didn't love it anymore. Because I don't think you should do comedy if you don't love it. We shouldn't be the people who complain on stage. I mean, yes, we could complain in funny ways about bits and stuff and make it part of the joke, but it should never be, wow, that comic looks like they're phoning it in. That comic looks like they're not enjoying it. And it just, I knew if I stayed in another year or so, people would start to go, oh, there's not the love there that there used to be. So but I said, let me get out. Yeah, but were you burnt out or were you just it were you just exhausted from it or were you just like, no, I'm not over? Because I think at the time, roughly, was there, there was a news story that came out. That right, right. Did a show and then some people in the crowd got offended and then you're like, fuck. Like you like kind of went off and said, fuck. Like, well, well, they said anyone. What happened exactly? Yeah, what happened was that incident happened way after I had booked the Stern thing to retire. So the decision was already made. So what happened was there was a guy in the audience who got mad at me because there was a woman with a, a cast on her leg and she was surrounded by drunks. And I was like, miss, do you want to move up? Do you want here? There's two seats up front, move up. And it was taking too long for this guy. And he goes, start being funny, you F and C or whatever it was. And I went off because I'm like, here I am ready to get out of this business. I'm trying to help this bitch in a cast who probably lost the fucking, uh, got a broken leg by something she was doing that was stupid. So suddenly I'm the asshole. So I went off on the guy and I was like, I'll just give you your money back and all this stuff. So it was insane, but I kind of liked it because it was my last hurrah of craziness. Because those moments, man, those are fun and weird yeah. and fucked up. Very Andy Kaufman. So uh, yeah, the two weeks later, I think was the Stern thing was already booked, but it was, that part was not like horrifying to me. What I found horrifying about comedy was I was 30 years in a business and doesn't everybody find their job horrifying after 30 years? Like no one would ever say to a secretary, like, oh my God, why did you get out of the typing pool? You know? So I think we're all allowed to just evolve and notice what doesn't work anymore. And I was like, yeah. I notice my own life. And I think that's, you You guys are pretty astute guys when it comes to self-help and things like that. When you start noticing your life, instead of being on autopilot, you go, ooh, this doesn't work anymore. I don't love this. And I just hadn't noticed my life for like 25 years because you get into accomplishment. Yeah. I, I feel that people get kind of a high off laughter and making mm. people laugh out loud and the joy that comes from it. Do you, I mean, in our conversation right now, you're making me laugh, but do you yes. still get that kind of high when you talk to your friends and you're making people laugh and like, do you mm -hmm. find that joy other ways because you're off stage? Right. I don't hesitate to, if it's a funny moment to, you know, go with the flow. Cause if you're denying one of your gifts, like I grew up, my mom had a great sense of humor. She told stories and I'm like, you know what, if I don't, 
say a comment when it's funny and I'm holding myself back, then I'm not being myself. So at gatherings and stuff and game nights or whatever on podcasts or whatever, I'm still funny because that's part of me, but I'm also way more vulnerable. I'm also way more open about struggles. And that's why I like the podcast I do, because honestly, me and these two guys talk about everything from fear of success, vulnerability, addiction, compulsive eating, which I've struggled with, bad relationships, which also I struggled with. And I'm like, wow, we can still be funny, but address those deeper issues in the process. So I think just now I'm more in these years, kind of more 100% myself than I was on stage. Stage was like 10% of me. Now I use all 100% in my life, I hope. Who are the other comics you do with? Oh yeah. My guys are Bo McDowell and Nick Scopoletti. They're two guys who started in Connecticut a few years ago. And I just happened to do a favor for my niece. I went to see their show. And of course, once you guys know, you know, what funny is when someone asks you a favor to see their friend, you want to shoot yourself in the face. Cause you know, you're going to have to tell them they suck. So I go to this thing with a completely closed mind and I'm like, Holy crap. They're actually funny. And I could help these guys. There's little tweaks we can make to the jokes. There's little things about them that I really like character wise. And we started having these deeper conversations and I'm like, holy crap, this is a podcast. Cause to me, what's missing in the podcast with straight white men is vulnerability, openness about issues and struggles. I am not a huge fan of the bro type podcast, the very bro-y sort of, you know, fuck, yeah, fuck those whores podcasts and all that stuff. And I go, you know what? This should have a voice and let's do it as a podcast. Then obviously I come on, make fun of them because I can't not be funny and sort of coach them a little into how to make their lives better. So it works for me as a fun little project. It works for them because they get to expose that straight white guys aren't all bad and actually work on themselves. So I kind of just love it. Yeah. You, when you retired from stand-up, did you retire in your opinion? Because there's no starting date or ending date. Do you think you started, you retired right before the cancel culture started? Or did you kind of wrap up when it was starting to go on? Like where, where did you end it in right in relation to cancel culture it seemed to me to hit that i wasn't canceled yet by my audience like my audience i didn't see any change in like everybody was laughing there were still young people it wasn't just like you know 60 year old racists or something so i was like oh you know i'm lucky enough i'm still drawing enough to definitely sustain a good income but then i think what happened was of course you guys probably are way more, uh, you know, aware of what's going on in entertainment and stuff. I finally started reading about something other than me and stopped being so self-centered. And I'd read about wokeness and about like people getting quote unquote canceled. I'm like, oh, this is a thing. Holy crap. Like I would have never known this because I was so consumed with myself and so into what I was doing and how to get ahead that I just kind of didn't notice the rest of the world. It's a really, to be honest, it's a real big source of shame for me that I work on because I didn't notice all the systemic racism, you know, in life. I didn't notice ageism or fat phobia or any of the stuff that we talk about now. I'm like, holy crap. Like I've really shortchanged myself by, and the people around me in my life by not hearing other people's ideas and being so driven that I kind of blocked everything out except what's the next gig what's the next bunch of uh, achievements i could add to the resume it was a very self-centered life 
And I'm like, oh, I don't have to be that way anymore. I could actually go to protests. I could actually listen to millennials about what the real issues are and not this garbage that people my age sometimes talk about. So it's very interesting. I love this whole kind of newness of all this stuff to myself, although I wish it happened sooner. Yeah. Do you have any regrets when it came to your material? Like you say, say the word f- a lot, you know, I don't know if I can even say. Oh, that. and way worse. And way I worse. Oh, well, yeah. Do you ever look back? Do you regret using that word or is there anything you regret saying now that you're in this different place in your life and you look back and you're very self-aware? Do you? Well, I will. I don't, I, I hate people and everybody says it, but I hate people who say, I don't have any regrets or I wouldn't be here this way now, (laughs) which is probably true. But of course I have regrets. I, again, that's why I said, uh, after the Stern thing and the announcement on Stern, I went on Wendy Williams and I said, you know, about the apology part, you know, I apologized to her for something I'd said, not about her, but about a group. I said, I'm sure I hurt people's feelings. So I'm sorry about that. I don't know why that's wrong. I think it's fine to have regrets because you go, yeah, that fucking sucked of me if somebody felt shame about themselves because of me. I get very few people reaching out to me. So I think to myself, you know what? I hope for the most part it helped people get through that they felt like I was like a Don Rickles who loved everybody, which is the truth because you can't get away with that kind of comedy if you don't love everybody. But- if I hurt them with an F word or a, you know, C word or whatever it is, uh, I do feel regretful about that. Sure. It's interesting, like hearing your perspective of it, because I feel like you were one of those people that were uncancelable because mm-hmm. a lot of your joke, you, you did jokes against everyone. And it, it's kind of like in the Joan Rivers thing, like Joan Rivers would have been uncancelable just because that is, what people knew of her, right. but I, it is interesting hearing the other side of it. And Hey, like, I don't want to hurt people. I want to make people laugh, but I don't, yeah. I don't want to hurt people. And I'm sorry if I did. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't picture you as someone that would have been so affected by the cancel culture. Well, my, my feeling is Rickles probably wouldn't have been either, but if you show a Rickles tape now to someone very woke and young, they'd be horrified even though you and I both know it's freaking hilarious. So that's why it's so funny when I'll get, I'm mostly just on Instagram at the moment because it's just fun for me. Um, I'll get like 30 year olds going like, oh my God, my parents introduced me to your stuff when I was a kid. It's so funny and we get it. Don't worry. And I feel good about that. But you know, who knows? My feeling is I was lucky enough to do it when you could do it. And I know I was really blessed. I've said, dudes, In the past few years, in all the interviews, I've been like, I am the most lucky person. And I'm not one who's prone to go to gratitude in the past. Like I was very sort of negative, just about like, oh, you know, poor me, victim, victim. And I'm like, wow, I've been so lucky. I've never gotten in serious trouble with comedy. I was raised by depression era parents who literally said save money. So I was allowed to get out without being poor. And I've been so like, I've never been me too'd. I've never had any issue with that kind of thing. And I was like, man, I escaped a lot of situations without any capital T traumas. And we all have tons of trauma. We all have a million small T traumas and bullying and being hurt and all this. And we can work on that. But boy, there's no one luckier than me when it comes to escaping a lot of that capital T stuff. 
you yeah. you retired really at the the, the greatest time you know and it, you didn't really yeah. i don't think you really were thinking about that but it just worked out to be like you got to end off at a good time before everything shit hit the fan and everyone got canceled and stuff like that and it's yeah. crazy one week you could get away with it the next week you can't and it's just it's the same person did anybody ever try to cancel you like were you know did you ever feel like that was ever you know and i only ask that because we see so much of it now but did you feel like you felt a group or some people are trying to really uh, well not a group i i don't think so i mean i'd get individual like things outlet here or, outlet or, or perhaps or Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. Like a media outlet, maybe trying to. Really I don't. Do a I don't. I don't think so. I think it's like, really, the timing was just perfect for me. Yeah. And I also remember when Stern stopped stopped saying the f word for gay people. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, yeah, he's right. And then he stopped saying the R word, and yeah. called Wendy Wendy the slow adult. adult. And I go, yeah, he's right. And then you start reading about stuff. I'm like, oh, I probably should do that too. And it's really interesting how I don't blame any of that stuff. I don't think any of that stuff is bad. You know, Bill Maher often rails against it. And I get free speech and all that stuff. I don't know. Just me looking at myself in the mirror, I say, eh, it probably would hurt somebody's feelings. I'm not going to, why, why bother? Who cares? Is there anyone out there that if they were going to do a roast, you would come out of retirement to roast them? That's a great question. And I've thought about this because somebody did ask me the other day that in a Duchess, which is a uh, hot dog place here. They're like, oh, hey, would you ever roast so-and-so? And I'm like, how did you even know who I am? I look so different. Anyway, by the way, thank you. I'm nailing it. Um, I <laughs> uh, kept my weight off. I kept my weight off 11 years. So you got to be oh, pretty great. So anyway, um, okay. This is probably the only way I do it. If a million dollars was being donated to say North shore animal league, um, the Biden campaign, uh, something really astoundingly, you know, positive in my life. I would be like, I'll do it. But I want to know a person. Oh, a person? A person oh, oh, well, if they, it, it, I don't think the person counts because, like, even if they said, come roast the head of the North Shore Animal League, which happens to be Howard Stern and Beth, I would absolutely go off on those guys because <laughs> it's fun and we're friendly. I wouldn't say we're friends because, you know, they're, they're very, very, uh, just I hold them in so much regard. I can't be friends with people I worship. So, um, I would absolutely do that. Like my last roast ever was on Howard. We did Ronnie the limo driver and I hit everybody, including Howard. So it I, it would probably be in that universe and it would have to be over a million dollars donated. Not even and, if like, they were like, hey, you can do Donald Trump again now. after. Ugh. <laughs> no, because I, I, Dax, this is pretty, probably something I never told you. Or maybe some other roasters have mentioned this. You can only roast the people that you love because if Jeff you Ross don't, yeah. yeah, but I'll explain why I have tried on a roast to hit everyone on the dais, but there might be one who I have a real problem with. Like I just, as a human that we don't like each other, I no. couldn't do the jokes cause it would come out so mm. negative. Yeah. So, 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 what Oh God. So what happens is I skip them, which is the biggest insult of all, which I think is hilarious. And that's why I always thought insult comedy was fine. Cause if you don't like them, you leave them out, which is a huge insult. So if I made fun of black, 
white, gay, straight, and left out Asian, or I left out Latinx, I would be kind of wondering, why'd I do that? Why am I afraid of them? Do I not really think they're people? Do I want to dehumanize them by not including them? Me, I included everybody. So that's why I feel I was a little bit grandfathered into allowing my people allowing me to do that kind of comedy back then. But um, yeah, the roast part, I must tell you, that would be the only way to come out of it because I would never probably want to do stand up again. But dude, I got to tell you, those roasts are fun. Yeah, I was going to say, you are so good at them. So you're you're retired from stand up, but are you retired from the Comedy Central roasts? Oh God, yeah, that's stand up to me. But meaning, I was just dude. That's a subset of stand up. But what I was saying is, just dude. When I think about how funny it is to get on stage and say the most horrible things, I mean, <laughs> I had a joke. I forget what it was. It was something about Hulk Hogan when it was, I think, the David Hasselhoff roast, and Hulk Hogan's wife had just left him for like a nineteen-year-old or something. And it was so horrible what I said to him that he was almost crying. I said, well, this is just what's meant to be in my life. So you never had more fun than doing a roast that way. It's stressful as F because you're like, oh, my God, um, you know, is Jeff Ross, one of my heroes, going to do my joke before me? Is, you know, is someone going to repeat what I was going to say? And I'm like, wow, it's stressful. But when you see those tapes, you go, that shit was fun. So how much of this like funny Lisa do we get on your your podcast? I know it's new. I know that you guys yeah. probably haven't recorded a, a ton of episodes, but how much of this like this Lisa that we all <laughs> have to laugh with and at you like how much of that do we get? Okay, I hate to say it, but a pretty decent amount because I try to be like very soulful and nice and that I just can't. Like I am really <laughs> I am really soulful when it comes to advice and coaching for these guys. But I got to tell you, my other podcasts in the past, they were too much like that. They were too serious. It was like denying who I was. So I will say what happens is they don't even know this. Those two idiots that I tape with, I sit there while they're doing talking about the issue of the day, whether it's vulnerability or whatever. And I literally take notes on every BS thing they say, everything I need to call them on. And jokes that go with it. Cause I go, I gotta roast a little. And since they're so open and want to learn about themselves, I gotta go for it. So yes, I would say the time that my, uh, most of my episodes, there's been 20 out so far and we do one a week. I would say you're going to hear about 50% of Lisa being horribly mean, but with love. And <laughs> like I always want. I'm Lisa, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite roast that you did and what was your least favorite roast you did oh and, wow that's yeah. a that's a great question because honestly as much as i despise him um i didn't at the time despise donald trump because you remember when we roasted him on comedy central it was before this whole presidential nonsense so i just thought oh here's a guy i roasted privately by the way once before at the friars club that was years before mm -hmm. he, he laughed at every joke in the book and i said oh this is just a rich guy with a good sense of humor yeah so the roast was fantastic everyone was funny nobody tanked except that poor guy the situation poor yeah. thing and again i feel really sorry for him because there's nothing worse than bombing on tv and he got a lot of crap for it. And I felt bad about that. But I definitely added to that when I talked about it in the media. So um, no apology to him. But I will say the Trump one was a blast because it, it wasn't serious. 
uh, nowadays it probably would be horrible. Sure. Um, my least favorite, and I, oh my God, I'll never forget. It was my first one. It was the Chevy Chase roast. He has since said it was the worst night of his life because he realized he had no friends because yeah. they had to ask people like me to roast him because no one would show up. And I had, I mean, and I, this is me though. When I walked out of that apartment to go to the roast, I was living in New York City in a studio apartment. And I said, I look back at the room and I go, this is either going to be, you're, whenever, as soon as you come back into this room tonight after this roast, your life will have changed in one way or another because I knew I would either kill or bomb. And thank God, again, with the universe taking care of me, I absolutely had the set of the night. Thank you. And they moved me up in the lineup from 13 to three and for the broadcast. But you don't realize how miserable it was because Chevy Chase wore sunglasses so that he wouldn't be vulnerable at all to us. He stared straight ahead and didn't look at us. He didn't laugh at anything. He was the complete opposite of everybody I've roasted since. And I, in my head, the only thing that won out was like, you have to kill or you'll never be asked to do TV again. Cause that's the truth. It's like one shot, that Eminem bullshit. It's like, you get one shot, that's it. But he was a horror. With him being such like a comedy legend, <laughs> why did not he not have anyone that wanted to roast him? That doesn't even make sense to me. I feel like everyone would have been lining up to roast him. Oh, I've heard, I think over the years, we've heard he's kind of an asshole. Well, right? well, but I think what Dax is pointing out, like if you dislike him, come on and roast him. Yeah, Again, yeah. he wouldn't allow no one allows people they hate to roast them like i probably wouldn't no, be roasted by my you seems like he would have a billion friends out there that would be like absolutely wow. lining up to 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 do that well he again when he came out in the article in entertainment weekly a few months later or whatever it was he had said you know he realized no one would show up for him so it, that's gotta feel sad and gotta feel horrible says, i think it says a lot yeah. A, lot, a lot, especially yeah. being in the com comedy community. Right. Well, from what I've heard, though, he has become much a better person. Him and Howard, uh, Howard's talked about that they've mended their way, their uh, rift. And I think we all just kind of evolve like that's a wake up call. And it sounds like it was for him. Um, yeah. We've all needed wake up calls. And I've had a few, thank God. And hopefully change my ways and not been an invulnerable bitch to everyone I meet. <laughs> uh, when you roasted Donald Trump, and the one thing I can say about Donald, because I was actually at the Friars Club roast when you did oh. that, you know? and I, he he could handle a joke. Like he, you could say what you want. He's very good at that, you know? And yeah. obviously that was a different time. Now it's a whole different type of person, different stature. But when you roasted Donald Trump, what were the rules for him? Was there anything off <laughs> for Donald Trump? Again, see, this is why I love you. You get it. You know there's something they all put off limits, right? And it makes me laugh that you would do a roast and have things off limits. So, first of all, he only had one, but it was a big one. You couldn't talk about his finances and bankruptcies in any way. And that's hilarious. That's like part of his, his whole appeal. I know. And guess what? The other ones, I'll tell you a couple others. Uh, poor Pam Anderson. Her... Uh, stipulation was we couldn't talk about the hepatitis c, hepatitis c yeah that's which yeah. i kind of get and then yeah. um william shatner had the thing where you couldn't make fun of remember when they found his wife dead in a pool or something yeah oh. yeah. yeah so those to me seem 
like I health related. Yeah. So, but the Trump thing was a little bit stupid. I think with Pam too, uh, I loved her so much. Just, I mean, I had only met her that night and what a little, she just is such a doll. And I just think, I mean, I never told anybody this. I don't think I wrote it in a play once, but I pulled back way back when I watched that roast before I went up because a lot of the guys were getting up there and they were literally doing such lazy jokes about her boobs and her down under that I was like, okay, make an effort. Like one good joke about body parts, make it a really good one and move on. There were some freaking horrible, disgusting jokes that didn't take any effort to make. And she was literally, I know you guys are really nice guys in real life. And I swear to God, she had that smile that you always see on people when they have to smile for the public, but they're probably hurt. And at one point, because I'm scoping her out to see what she can take. And I see this and I, I get really sad. And Tommy Lee, during a commercial break, looks at her and he goes, he mouths, are you okay? And she knew somebody was watching and she went, yeah, yeah. And I go, okay, all bets are off. I'm crossing out my Pam jokes and I'm getting these mother efforts for her. (laughs) So I jump into protective mode and it was one of the greatest shows of my life without going um, really base on her. And again, will really hardcore comics hear this and go, what a pussy Lampanelli is? Yeah, then freaking sign me up because I am I've been raised with that protective instinct. And I was like, that's just not right. So I feel that was a good move. So with Netflix becoming as big as it is and all these people doing their, their specials on Netflix, do you feel that Comedy Central is even still relevant? I know for a fact I will always have cable because I'm old fashioned. I'm 60 years old. I'm wealthy. What do I need for just the apps? I enjoy the apps plus the cable so I could brag to all my poor friends. However, (laughs) I couldn't even tell you the last time I put on Comedy Central and no shade to them. I just forget about it. So I hope they have some programming that keeps them relevant, but I don't know what it is. Like I'm obsessed with um, dramas for the most part. Now I'll watch a good comedy here or there. I'm not like all classy watching all British stuff and being all like, Oh my God, I need a cup of tea. But if comedy central other than South park comes out with some good stuff, I would watch it, but I don't think it's the, the, the clearinghouse for comedy that it was. Who, who was the comedians that came up in your graduating class? Like the, the people you kind of was in, yeah, in your class. Coming yeah. Up. I would say the guys I sort of came up with are like Jim Norton, uh, Jim Florentine, uh, Jeff Ross, uh, those kind of guys, the girls, there was like no women really. Yeah. Was it um, Coplets, I guess. I don't even know who like, yeah, there was a Joan was way in before that. Yeah, and yeah. this is interesting about Joan. And again, I think this says a lot. Um, I remember I was playing this theater in San Francisco and Joan and I had problems with each other because I didn't have a problem with her, but she went on Stern and said really mean stuff about me because Joan, bless her heart, I feel sad for her that she lived this way. She didn't like other female comics because she felt threatened, which I am always so careful to support all the women comics coming up now because I'm like, oh, you're going to be like Joan and be a bitch to these women or are you going to be nice? You know, they're going to surpass your success. So you want to, you know, really applaud them. 
So Joan, I remember I was playing this theater in San Francisco and the it was sold out, thank God. And the guy from Live Nation came up to me and he goes, oh my God, we had to cancel all Joan's shows this weekend. I'm like, what? She had seven scheduled at this comedy club and they canceled all seven because no one bought tickets. Well, you got to hand it to her. Two years later, selling out huge places again because she did a comeback on The Celebrity Apprentice. She got roasted on Comedy Central, which might've been the worst night of her life, she said. And I'm like, oh, so even if you're done, you're not done yet. So I thought that was really cool. But that was the only example I had of a woman who kind of did like this crazy comeback because she didn't want to let go. I thought that was pretty cool that she could die on top. Yeah, I respect you a lot for talking so highly about Joan because she did talk about you and a little bit negative. Oh, and, my God. And, and it wasn't, you know, listen, I, there's it wasn't the best thing for her. But you have to and I think you have compassion and it's something yes. when she came up. It was a much different time. There wasn't any female comedians, and she was gonna get abused. She was supposed to be the late night host, and she, right. she got screwed by Johnny Carson. So she had that built in her system of so many close calls, and didn't get these gigs. And mm. her time was gonna, and she was so talented. So it's like, but I and I and that's a compliment to you that you're still compassionate to be like, no, fuck it, you, yeah, you could be an asshole to me, but you were one of my mentors. Like I'm not doing your act, but like you were just right. really paved the road so people like me and Nikki and all these other comedians, Amy Schumer could kind of do that stuff. So that's, uh, yeah, I think, well, I, I participated in a workshop once at this spirituality place and the woman said, gratitude and compassion are your two abracadabras. They're literally magical. I couldn't force either. I had to do so much work on myself, um, before retirement and after that. I was like, Oh my God, compassion's coming up naturally instead of me forcing it and yeah. also gratitude. But boy, if you can't feel compassionate with someone for someone when they, when you see a documentary about them where they're literally looking in their calendar and in despair, if there's an empty spot, like now I look in my book and I'm so happy it's empty. Like I'll see people's birthdays that that's what's on it. You know, family members, parties, um, little cute going away parties for people. And I'm like, and the one thing a week I have to do is the podcast and I'm like, wow, isn't it interesting how I love an empty calendar? So how couldn't I feel compassion with someone who so didn't want to be by themselves, which is why, by the way, the show Hacks, where you were fantastic, I will say this show, it speaks to me so much about, wow, that's despair that leads you to just keep driving and driving and driving. So how couldn't we feel like, while wow, Joan was a groundbreaker and we should have compassion for anyone in that situation. Sure. Who was the one comedian that did well, you know, it, but did well, but your opinion was like, man, this person's so fucking talented. They should be a bigger star. And never got the big break they deserved. I honestly am always shocked that Jessica Kirsten is not, and she's enormously famous. I don't know who she is, I, but I she's uh, is. she's one of the, she's in, she's a New York based comedian who she's uh, I mean, I'll kind of she's related to like Zach Braff and like, Zach, yeah, they're they're sister um, brother in law or something like that, but they're, they're stepbrother and stepsister. Yeah, that's what stepbrother, stepsister, but she's a comedian who done the small TV stuff. But when she performs in New York City at these clubs, dude, I she kills, she kills, so like she, how, it's like roars. So, why is that if someone is so funny? Why, how is she not like broken into that like mainstream? People know her name. Like, what is it that takes you to the next level? Is it getting the Netflix kind of deal? But yeah, you don't, but yeah. you don't get the Netflix deal without 
being known and selling tickets. So I think what happens is personally, I know this is so woo woo, but you guys will get it. I don't think it's the getting of something that makes you grow. I think the not getting stuff and the quote unquote failures, my failures have, I've grown more because of them. Mm-hmm. So I, it, spiritually, I think she maybe needs to feel the unfamousness in order to get to the next level of just a being of being someone who accepts themselves and likes themselves. It's gotta be super frustrating. I don't know how I could have handled it. She might. And part of it might be timing too. She might've been right before the Nikki Glaziers and the Whitney Cummings and kind of slipped through the cracks, but I will tell you, and I'm not kidding. And also, by the way, I wish I could be like, Oh, she's a total bitch. So I'm glad you've never seen anyone who's, gives more to other people. Plus she also, when she shows up at a gig, happy, professional. She just did a little room for Bo and Nick. Bo and Nick were in this little com. My two guys on the podcast did do a little comedy room in Connecticut just to practice. They booked her. She showed up. They said, Lisa, it was the time of our lives because no one has been nicer to us. And I'm like, with her, it almost seems like good deeds get punished, which sucks because she's professional, nice, funny. What else I got to be? Yeah. You know? When so. you, well, when you first started doing stand, actually probably almost before you just started doing stand up comic, the biggest break for a comedian was doing Johnny Carson. And if mm. you did well on the show, Johnny Carson would have you and he would spring you on the couch. But if he was, you know, if that was the biggest compliment, if he asked you to come on the couch or called you over now comedians, you know, and then when you started doing stand up, obviously, a lot of people are doing Letterman and Leno, and that was a good kind of thing. It was a good pat on the back, like, hey, you're up to some stuff. Maybe you get a premium blend or something on Comedy Central. But now when comedians you know, do a late-night show, how important is it? Or how much does that even matter if they do a late-night set or a five-minute yeah. that See, I, again, lucked out because um, it was kind of a big deal, but it was waning. Guess what the big deal was when I was coming up? if Stern asked you to stay for the news. Yeah. So what happened with me was I was smart enough. See, cause I started when I was older, I started when I was 30. So it was like, I knew how to do business. I already knew PR cause I had been a journalist. I'm like, I know to not go on something before I'm ready. I'm not going on Stern until I have something to talk about. I didn't want to just be trying to get my way on. So after the Chevy Chase roast was so bizarre and weird with Chevy, I go, ah, Stern's going to want to hear about this. So I knew to go on and he asked me to stay for the news and thank God the rest is history. But with that, that's the equal of getting the Johnny Carson, you know, nowadays, I think you get a nice tape. I think it's a nice credit for your resume, your comedy resume. It's a resume changer. I don't know that it's a ticket selling changer. My ticket sales went through the roof with the Pam Anderson roast. So it took me about five roasts to get to the big one where people watched, loved it, and were obsessed with it. So I don't know the secret anymore. I think a lot is social media. A lot is those crazy things that I don't even know how to do, like TikToks and stuff. Um, <laughs> it could it could be podcasts. I have a niece who has a podcast that has over 100 million downloads and they play sold out theaters all over the country. She don't want to be a comic. Now she's a comic and they do sold out shows. So I crack up because I go, and by the way, that's called, and that's why we drink and they're fantastic. Wait, but, I, I just talked to her. 
Christine or M? Uh, both of them. Oh, they're the best. Yes, I literally just had a conversation with them the other day. That's so fun. I had no idea that was your niece. Yeah, my nephew Blaze, my oldest nephew. I have eight nieces and nephews. He met her in Cincinnati and uh, years ago, and they started dating. And he asked me to like meet with her when she was a grad student at Boston University for TV writing to tell her how to become a PA or whatever. We bonded instantly because we both had the exact same issues and literally take everything personally and work on that all the time. And um, they end up starting this podcast, as you know, with nothing, 40 bucks and a microphone. And dude, it just hit the sweet spot of the zeitgeist of paranormal crime, trans host, stuff you can't force. And I was so thrilled. And they got married a few years ago. They're expecting their first baby. And I go, man, if you just do what's fun, because they did it literally with no goals, at, fun just works out. Because what's yeah. the worst that can happen? You still have fun. So even with my podcast now, I'm like, dudes, how much fun do we have every week? So if we get no listeners or we get, you know, 100,000 or, or, you know, whatever it is, hey, I didn't waste a second, you know, but thank God for Christine and them. They kill that shit, right? Yeah. yeah, really good show. How did you, uh, this is such a random thing, but you had a small part in Drill Bit Taylor. Ah! Drill Bit Taylor is one of the funniest movies. I love that movie. It's one of those, I even used like a photo for that movie for my fantasy football league because I thought the kids were great. I thought it was a great oh. movie. It was just it, such an, I don't want to say so underrated good. movie because I, I'm sure it did well, but it's like one of those movies to me was just such a cult classic. And um, how did you get that part? Did you have to audition for that part? Even though it was only a small little thing, but I remember Owen calling you Lisa by your first name yeah. in the beginning. But how did you, how that end up? Oh, you're going to laugh because I got hired to play Josh Peck's mother. He was played a hooligan in the high school, right? So what happens is me and Josh Peck, yeah. goodness, we're still in touch. He, we laugh, we go, isn't it great how we were in the only Judd Apatow movie that got bad reviews and nobody went to see it? We're like cracking up. So we adjust our life. It's it's a great movie. And it's very great. cute. It's heartwarming. I loved it. All that happened was at the time I was pretty well known, you know, thankfully through comedy. They called me and I guess it was Steve Brill was directing it. And they go, oh, we want you to come in and just meet with us, but we want to make you Josh Peck's mom and you could ad-lib all your lines and this and that. And they just gave me a part. I was like, this is badass. I didn't even have to do anything. So that's my favorite type of role. Yeah. No pressure. And I wrote the lines in advance, like 20, you know how we are, we're overachievers, 20 choices for each scene and just did take after take and they picked hopefully the best ones. But another movie that you're going to crack up or another thing, Michael Patrick King called me during the uh, two broke girls last uh, last season. And he's like, Oh, do you want to come out and do a part on it? It's pretty big. She's Italian and loud. I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> Those are the things to do. Get it offered to you. I love it. I do anything. I told my manager in this retirement, I want to do two things, anything I'm offered. I don't want to audition for anything. And any opportunity to talk about myself. You see how good I am at that? <laughs> but yeah, oh. I, I love like that kind of sh thing where you just, it's no pressure. You go, yeah. and by the way, if you suck, you got to blame them. You don't have to, hey, you put me in it, dummy. <laughs> so true. Well, at least I know we, we've kept you longer than we said we would. I, I'm real, I'm going to check out your podcast. For sure. Oh. It's called what? 
It, what is it called? It's called Loser. Yes, it's called Losers with a Dream. And by the Losers way, that is a line directly from one of the roasts because I would roast the dais, everyone on the stage. And then I'd say, but enough about these losers with a dream. Let's <laughs> talk about, you know, David Hasselhoff. By the way, great sport, no limitations on the jokes you could do. So losers with a dream, it's available on all platforms, obviously. And um, we're, the three of us are losers, but we still have dreams. So that's why we called it that. That's awesome. It. Lisa, thank you so much. Guys, make sure you check out the podcast. Make sure you follow Lisa on all the socials. Congrats for the podcast. Very excited. We're happy for you, Lisa. Oh, I love you guys. You're the best. And tell Josh Peck we want him, even though he's kind of turned us down. Oh, that bitch. I'll get him. <laughs> <laughs> love you guys. Dude, she's always awesome. I love her. She's great. She's fun. She's cool. And I, your Instagram friends with her and Twitter friends, very cool. You know what I love is that she's – I love to talk about her being back in her childhood house and how she's literally sleeping in, like, a twin-size bed now. Yeah. No, most people wouldn't even admit that. They'd be like, no, no, I sleep in this king-size bed. All is good in the world. She's like real and honest. And I like how down to earth she is. Well, I just love the honesty about the roast and like who was cool, who wasn't. Even, you know, she's not a fan of Donald Trump, but she does praise him a little bit as far as how he can accept the joke. And I also take away of her, again, like I said during the podcast, her compassion for Joan Rivers because Joan Rivers was very – very yeah, uh, I miss opinionated that. Was she really, yeah, she was really uh, Jonah Rose was very opinionated about Lisa Lampinon. She wasn't she wasn't kind to her. She didn't have good things to say. But again, I I understand where Joan was coming from. She came up in a very very tough time. You know, it wasn't easy for her. But Lisa was always very very good about Joan and thanked her and because she basically made the path for it. But Lisa's great. She talks a lot of shit. She's cool. She gets it. Yeah. And that's important. She gets it. She gets and it. that's the celebrities we like, people who get it. Like, you understand what's interesting. You understand what makes you cool. You understand what makes you funny. Like, you get it. You understand the game. And she does. She does. Oh, um, she just sent me a message. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Appreciate, uh, appreciate having you on. Hold on. I'm going to write back to her. New phone who dis. <laughs> 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 no honestly she's awesome i love her thank you again lisa for coming on um and guys if you please leave us a review that's the best thing you can do like we said at the beginning of the show leave us a review on itunes head on over to our website hollywoodrod.com we've got all the episodes up there along with just tons of news information photos all kinds of fun stuff and if you haven't logged on to our youtube page definitely do it for this one because Look at how fancy we are with our look at Hollywood this. Raw background. Moving on and up. Like we uh, are coming up in the world, yeah, yeah. guys. Yeah, so it looks good. That's the best thing to do. Again, support us. Leave a review. Five-star only. If you have a question, we do a thing sometimes where we call fan question roulette where you can DM us a video. You don't know who the celebrities we're going to have on the show. You can ask us the most random question. We'll take that video and play it for the celebrity. And you don't know. We don't. It's fucking, we figure it out. It's kind of fun. It's a really cool <laughs> thing. You ask a random question to a random celebrity, and it's really fun. And that's for ways for you guys to be involved in the show. You can find me at, at Adam Glynn, G-L-Y-N. You can find Dax Holt at D-A-X-H-O-L-T. We'll see you guys next time. A Huda Media Production.